This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia launched new strikes on Ukrainian cities while residents in four controlled parts of Ukraine were coerced into voting in favour of joining Russia. Ukrainian officials said that people were being intimidated by armed groups, forbidden from leaving certain areas until polls close on Tuesday, or threatened with losing their jobs. The G7 group of the world's wealthiest economies declared the referendums a sham. Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, promised full protection for any Ukrainian territory annexed by Russia. Meanwhile, more than 700 people were arrested on Saturday for participating in protests against Russia's partial mobilization, according to OVD Info, a human rights group. On Friday, the Kremlin announced some exemptions from its civilian draft, amid attempts by large numbers of men to leave the country. President Vladimir Putin also dismissed the general in charge of logistics, an apparent punishment for the woeful progress of the invasion. In Italy, polls opened in a general election to fill seats in both houses of the country's parliament, the Chamber of Deputies and the Senate. The vote is expected to return a victory for a far-right coalition, led by the far-right Brothers of Italy party. The party's leader, Giorgia Meloni, is thus likely to become the country's first female prime minister. North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile off its east coast, according to South Korea's army. The launch, the latest in a flurry of missile tests this year, came just after an American aircraft carrier arrived in South Korea to participate in military drills. South Korea called it an act of grave provocation. Authorities in the Philippines began evacuating people from coastal areas as a major typhoon approached. Forecasters said Typhoon Noru is heading towards Luzon, the archipelago's main island, at speeds of 120 miles per hour. In Canada, Storm Fiona made landfall on the country's east coast, destroying several homes and power lines. And in the Caribbean, Tropical Storm Ian is forecast on Sunday to strengthen to become a hurricane. President Biden's press secretary called a ruling in Arizona banning abortions catastrophic, dangerous and unacceptable. On Friday, a judge lifted an injunction on a law from 1864 that outlawed the procedure in all cases except to save the mother's life. Earlier this year, America's Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the ruling that established the constitutional right to an abortion. Iran's president, Ebrahim Raisi, said that the country must deal decisively with protests against restrictions on women's rights. State media said 35 people had died in the days since demonstrators took to the streets following the death of a woman beaten by morality police. America said it would allow tech firms to operate more freely in Iran to help citizens there bypass internet restrictions. And word of the week. Nanaria Swiftay. The scientific name for a millipede given to honour Taylor Swift, the American pop star. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Italians go to the polls. Italians vote on Sunday in an election whose outcome is as widely expected as it would be dramatic. 
polling carried out before a ban took effect on September 10th, gave a right-wing alliance almost 46% of the vote, some 17 points more than the next biggest coalition, led by a center-left former prime minister, Enrico Letta, would be enough to give the right a comfortable parliamentary majority. Within that group, the Brothers of Italy, a party that sports the symbol of neo-fascism, is far ahead of its allies. That makes the brothers' leader, Giorgio Maloney, Italy's probable next prime minister. A pressing doubt about the Italian right is its stance on Russia. Ms. Maloney's allies include Silvio Berlusconi, a former prime minister and long-standing friend of Vladimir Putin. On September 22nd, having previously criticized Russia, he said that in invading Ukraine, Mr. Putin just wanted to replace Volodymyr Zelensky's government with decent people. That is not what NATO and Washington wanted to hear. Cuba votes on a new family code. On Sunday, Cubans will vote on whether to update the family laws of a country where social freedoms have long outpaced political ones. The government's proposed code is progressive. It would legalize marriage and civil unions for same-sex couples and allow them to adopt children. Surrogacy and prenuptial agreements would be legalized. The new code also suggests extending parental rights beyond biological parents. But some religious Cubans are likely to oppose the changes. Others see the referendum, the country's fourth since its revolution in 1959, as a distraction from more pressing issues. The island of 11 million is in a severe economic crisis, suffering shortages of food and medicine. Cubans are emigrating in record numbers. The government's response has been a mixture of inadequate, giving the private sector a tiny bit more freedom, and repressive, as it clamps down on dissent that has simmered since large protests erupted in July last year. Cubans can surely think of many other laws that need changing. The CIA launches its first-ever podcast. I love spy movies, says William Burns, the director of the CIA. But reality is a come-down. For me, at least... The height of technological daring is when I can finally get the Roku remote to work at home, he admits on the first episode of The Langley Files, a podcast launched this week to commemorate the intelligence agency's 75th anniversary. It is the latest sign that the spooks are coming out of the shadows. In 2019, the CIA made its Instagram debut. In 2020, the agency began advertising on video streaming services. The main reason for this is recruitment. Like many white-collar workplaces, spy agencies have realized that their needs have become more specialized. They seek Mandarin speakers and cryptographers, and ideally both. For that, traditional shoulder-tap routines fall short. The CIA hopes that forays like podcasts will entice prospective recruits. Listeners, though, may discover, like the director, that modern spycraft is a lot more humdrum than movies tend to suggest. The Scandal Rocking the Chess World Hans Niemann, 
a 19-year-old American chess player, is at the center of a cheating scandal at the heart of the chess world. At the start of September, Mr. Neiman defeated the world champion, Magnus Carlsen, playing well above his usual level. Then, on Monday, in another matchup between the pair, Mr. Carlsen resigned after a single move. Pundits speculated that Mr. Carlsen was signaling that he thought that Mr. Neiman had cheated in victory. It is hard to police over-the-board chess matches. In recent years, players have been rumbled receiving coded messages from allies in the audience and using phones in toilets. Mr. Neiman has admitted to using computer assistance in online tournaments in his youth, but denied cheating in over-the-board games as an adult. In a chess world that runs on trust, that has damaged his credibility. Yet, for all that, Mr. Carlson has produced no evidence of wrongdoing, and experts who have parsed Mr. Neiman's performance over the past two years have found little cause for suspicion. Weekend Profile William Kentridge, South African Artist Using just a stick of charcoal and a crisp sheet of white paper, William Kentridge tries to make sense of a messy world. Over and over, he traces a line, smudges it a little, rubs it out, and traces it anew. His mediums are many, his subjects wide-ranging. The Russian Revolution, the great colonial wars of the 20th century, the inequities of his native South Africa, first under apartheid and then democratic rule. Doubt, migration, and the slipperiness of history are recurring themes. Aged 67, Mr. Kentridge is in the flush of his career, and having a moment. This month, Self-Portrait as a Coffee Pot, a documentary series chronicling his studio practice, had its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. In London, he is involved in three shows. A retrospective at the Royal Academy of Arts, opening on Saturday, is packed to the gunwales with his drawings, sculptures, and sets for theatre and opera. Starting on October 6th, the Barbican will stage performances involving music and dance by South African artists developed at Mr. Kentridge's incubator in Johannesburg. Also next month, Goodman Gallery will screen Oh to Believe in Another World, a stop-motion film set to Dmitry Shostakovich's Tenth Symphony. Shostakovich composed the symphony around the time of Joseph Stalin's death. Its explosive second movement is said to evoke state terror. Mr. Kentridge uses marionettes to explore the composer's attitudes towards Stalin and the Soviet Union. The film resembles a collage. Like much of Mr. Kentridge's work, it implies that history itself is a process of eliding, distorting, and stitching things back together. For the impatient viewer, these works may be noisy and confusing but it's worth persisting. One of the hard things to realize, says Mr. Kentridge, is the edge of who one is, of what your imagination can produce. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were... Asia. Vyas Prasad, Singapore. North America. 
Katya Butrimova, Toronto, Canada. Central and South America, Martin Whittle, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Europe, Arvid Skaugen, Hamburg, Germany. Africa, Ailsa Green, Choma, Zambia. Oceania, Christopher and Annie Jones, Sydney, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Moths, Bass, Michael Foote, Moses Basket, and Hard Times. The theme is that these are all words that can be used as prefixes for ball. Mothball, baseball, football, basketball, and hardball. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from F. Scott Fitzgerald. You don't write because you want to say something. You write because you have something to say. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.